But I wanted to I wanted to begin this morning before we dive into Genesis 12 uh, with a bit of review of where we've been over the last 10 weeks. We've covered quite a lot of ground uh, in the history of the world. Genesis 1 through 11 takes up more time than from the calling of Abraham in Genesis 12 into till today. And so uh, we've covered a lot of ground in 10 weeks, and I wanted to uh, to uh, review a little bit of where we have been. We are in this series on the Bible and God's mission, and we began with the stories of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And in the creation story, we are told that God made all things, that he made them good. In fact, he said after he was finished that they were very good. And in the story of creation, we read that God made the world, that he loves it, that he cares for it, and that he calls for us as human beings to be good stewards of all that he has made. Genesis 1 and 2 says that he made us as human beings in his image, and that he gave us a task to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to rule over it. We are also given good work to do. We see Adam and Eve given good work to do in the Garden of Eden. They were called to do good work in the Garden, and as they did that, they were to do that as, as worship to God. And we, we saw that our own work in our own lives is called to be worship to God. And also that we are called to rest, to remember that God is the one who sustains all things. And that we are called to rest, to practice and enjoy the Sabbath as a reminder to us that God made all things and that he is in the business of redeeming all things. Over the last four weeks, we've been looking at the stories of the fall of humankind. The problem in this story of the Bible is human sin and rebellion against God. And in all these stories of the fall, we have seen and we learn about God's response to our sin. We, we have seen that, our, that there are consequences to our sin and that our sin is not a small matter to God. In the story of Adam and Eve, uh, we see that Adam and Eve experience both God's judgment as they are cast out of the garden... They no longer have access to the tree of life. Their, their sin causes sin to enter into all parts of creation. Uh, and they, see, they were um, cast out of the garden and they no longer had access to the tree of life. But in the story of Adam and Eve, God also in his mercy, we saw, sacrificed an animal and clothed Adam and Eve from their nakedness. And God also makes a promise to them that one day one of their descendants will strike the serpent's head. In Genesis chapter 4, after Cain kills his brother, Cain experiences God's judgment because of his sin by being forced to be a restless wanderer over the whole earth. But even Cain, even Cain experiences God's mercy as God promises to protect Cain from anyone who would harm him. In Genesis 7 through 9, we read that human beings become so wicked and violent, violent against one another that God judges the whole world with a flood. But in his mercy, God preserves Noah and his family and makes a promise with all of creation that God will never again destroy the world in the way that he did with the flood. And then last week, we looked at Genesis, Genesis 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel. And in this story, human beings became so proud that they forget God. They forget all of his purposes for them, and they seek to build a great city and a great tower in order to do what? To make a great name for themselves. And God responded with his judgment by confusing their language and by scattering them over the face of the earth. 
But in the story of Babel, unlike all of these other stories, at the end of the story of Babel, there is no act of God's mercy. After Babel, the nations of the earth are cursed. They are divided by their language. They lack a vision and a purpose. They are no longer moving towards God's purposes for them. And at the end of the story, there is no promise of a future hope like we find in the story of Adam and Eve. There is no promise of protection like in the story of Cain. There is no covenant made between God and creation like in the story of Noah. At the end of the story of Babel, the nations are cursed and the story ends. So I want to say to you today as we look at Genesis chapter 12 that Genesis 12 and the calling of Abraham is God's response of grace and mercy after Babel. In Genesis 12, God chooses a man named Abraham and he tells Abraham to take his family and to go to a land that God will show him and that he, Abraham, will be blessed and that his descendants will be a blessing to all nations. I would encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And I want to read the first four verses of Genesis chapter 12. And I would like to ask for somebody, when you get there, to stand up and to read loudly for us. Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 4. If anyone could stand and read that for us. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever calls and curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, and the Lord, had, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Aaron. In the blessing and choosing of Abraham, God counters the problems that we find in Genesis 1-11, through 11, and specifically the problems of Babel. Do you notice the echoes of the, of the sin of Babel here in the blessing of God in the calling of Abraham? The, building, the builders of the city of Babel decided that they wanted to make a great name for who? For themselves. God counters this human rebellion in choosing Abraham by saying that he will make Abraham's name great. It will not be by the human effort of humanity that we will find salvation and meaning and purpose and significance. Our salvation and meaning cannot be found in our own efforts to make a great name for ourselves. Our salvation, the purpose of our life, meaning and purpose and significance in our life will come through the plans and purposes of God for us, not the plans that we make for ourselves. The builders of the city of Babel find a place where they themselves think that this is the place where we should stay and settle, here in the plain of Shinar. Remember, they they liked this place. They didn't want to be scattered all over the face of the earth. They chose a land for themselves. But in the story of Abraham, it says that the land of blessing will be a land that God provides and that God shows to Abraham. The story of the Tower of Babel ends with God cursing all the nations by scattering them and confusing their language. The nations become divided after Babel. 
Well, God's answer to the curse of Babel is his promise to Abraham that will include blessing to all nations through Abraham. Instead of all the nations of the earth remaining scattered and divided, God has a plan to bring all the nations together in him. The back-to-back stories of Babel and Abraham show that once again, even though humanity will reject God and his purposes for them, we see that God will not give up on his purposes for us. Genesis 3 through 11, these stories of the fall have made it very clear that human beings on our own will never fulfill our purposes that God has given to us. We will over and over again choose to reject God's purpose for us. Because of our sin, we have been separated from God. Left to ourselves, we will follow our own desires. We will murder our brothers. We will become irredeemably wicked. And we will forget God and try to take the good world that God made and make it a project for our own self-glorification. That is how Genesis 3-11 through ends. But God... But God, in Genesis chapter 12, but God, who is rich in mercy, made a plan to save us from our sin, from our violence toward one another, from our immorality, and from our pride. And so God's salvation history begins here in Genesis chapter 12. The whole of the biblical story turns at Genesis chapter 12. This is the very beginning of God's salvation history. The possibility of Jesus Christ coming into the world begins here with the calling of Abraham. The seed of the gospel, the promise of a savior, Jesus Christ, who will come to save and heal the nations, is here in Genesis chapter 12. In the book of Galatians, Paul says that Genesis chapter 12 is the gospel in advance. Genesis 12 is the gospel in advance. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 say this. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Quote, all nations will be blessed through you. This is the gospel in advance. I love that phrase. Then in Genesis chapter 12, we hear the seed of the gospel, the gospel in advance. One of the stories that I've come back to throughout this series is Jesus walking along the road to Emmaus with those two disciples of his who had just witnessed the crucifixion and who have now heard some rumors about a resurrection, an empty tomb, and they are confused as they walk along the road, and Jesus comes walking alongside them. And It says that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, explained to them what all of the scriptures said concerning himself. Now, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that Jesus may have started right here in quoting Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. With the story of the good news of God choosing Abraham, who will have descendants that will be a blessing to the nations. This is the beginning of God's salvation history. In Genesis 12, we read the beginning of God's plan to overcome the problem of human sin by calling this man named Abraham. So this morning, I want to do three things as we look at this passage. Uh, First, I want to look at the calling and promises that are made to Abraham. And secondly, I want us to show how Jesus fulfills the calling of Abraham. 
And third, I want us to consider how we, as Abraham's descendants by faith, now participate in this same calling. Okay, so we're going to look at the calling and promises made to Abraham. We're going to see how Jesus fulfilled that calling. And we're going to see how we, who are now Abraham's descendants by faith, now participate in this same calling. Let me read again, Genesis 12, 1 through 4. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. The first thing that I want us to notice here in these verses is that God gives Abram two commands. The first command is very easy for us to see. What is God's first command to Abram? What's his first command? Go. Go from this place to a land that I will show you. That's command number one. The second command is not as easy for us to see in our English translations, but the second command comes at the end of verse 2. You will be a blessing. The call to be a blessing in the Hebrew is not passive, it is active. It is a command, it is an imperative. You go is the first command, and the second command is you be a blessing. So there are two imperative statements, two command statements in this passage, go and be a blessing. That is Abraham's part to play in the promise. You go and be a blessing. And God says, I will do the rest. Abram, as you obey my command to be a blessing, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And I will bless all peoples on earth through you. Abraham, go and be a blessing, and I will do the rest. I will take care of the rest. I will make you into a great nation. I will give your people the land. I will bless you, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Over the next couple of months, we're going to look at the story of Israel throughout the Old Testament, and we'll see how God is faithful to all of these promises. We'll see how the people of Israel are a blessing to the nations. We will see in the story of Exodus how God makes them a great people by delivering them from slavery and leading them into the promised land. And we'll see in the story of Joshua and Judges how God gives them this promised land. But today, the phrase that I want to focus on is the last promise that God gives to Abraham. And I believe that it is the key to understanding this whole passage. And that is what Paul refers to as this gospel in advance that all the nations will be blessed through Abraham. This promise is repeated five times in the book of Genesis, three times to Abraham. Here in Genesis 12, again in Genesis chapter 18, at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, when Abraham seeks to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. And then again in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, after Abraham is faithful and obedient to God when he calls him to go and sacrifice Isaac. At these three times, God gives this promise to Abraham that you will be a blessing to the nations. This same promise is given to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, and it's also given to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, after Jacob has wrestled with God all night long. Remember that the calling and election of Abraham 
is God's response to the problem of all of human sin and rebellion. It's a response to the rebellion and to the curse of Babel. The purpose of Abraham's election was not to exclude the rest of the world, but instead was going to be the means by which God would include all of the nations. God didn't choose Israel one day and then later decide that he would be kind and benevolent to everyone else as well, to us Gentiles as well. It was God's plan from the very beginning to make Israel, the descendants of Abraham, the means through which God's salvation came into the world. And we see in the choosing of Abraham that it was God's mission from the beginning to extend his blessings to the nations of the earth. And it's through the life and the actions of the descendants of Abraham, and eventually the life and the actions of one particular descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ, that all the nations are blessed. And now, we the church, as descendants of Abraham by faith, those who have the spirit of Christ and who are called the body of Christ, now continue to participate in being this people of blessing to the world. Abraham, you go and be a blessing, and I will do the rest. I will make your name great. I will give you and your descendants the land. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and I will bless all the nations through you. Abraham, go and be a blessing, and I will do the rest. We read in verse 4 that Abraham obeyed. And to that, we all need to say amen. Abraham very simply did what God said. Abraham walks in obedience to God's word. And so I want us to consider for a bit Abraham's faith and obedience and what his faith and obedience, how they serve as examples to us. Uh, God is asking that Abraham leave everything that he knows. He's asking him to pick up and to leave his family, to leave the safety and security that came from being around the people that he knew and loved. And God tells Abraham to go to a land that he will show him. And God does not tell Abraham that it will be a good land. He doesn't tell him that yet. Right there, when God calls Abraham, all he says is that it is a land that I will show you, Abraham. No promise that it will be a better land. No promise that it will be a good good land at all. Just a promise that it will be a land that God will lead him to. God also promises that Abraham will be a great nation. This must have taken great faith because we learned in just the previous chapter that Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. She could not have any children. Abraham, get up and go to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I want to say to you today that there is nothing in Abraham's life up to this point that would make him think that God is going to answer any of these promises. God is asking Abraham to live by faith. God is telling Abraham that that from this point on, he is going to have to live according to promises that seem doubtful, that seem impossible, and promises that he cannot see. Abraham, I want you to become a pilgrim. I don't want you to stay here in the comfort and security and place where you call home. But if you do that, I will bless you, and I will bless the nations through you. God calls Abraham to live by faith and not by sight. He didn't give Abraham a brochure of the promised land and say, look how good it's going to be, Abraham, you should go. He doesn't do that. 
Abraham receives no itinerary for this trip. He doesn't know how long it's going to take. No timeline for how long he will journey. Abraham, get up and go to the land I will show you. I want you to be a pilgrim on a journey, journeying by faith to a land that you cannot see. And Abraham went. He exercises faith by obeying God. And throughout the book of Genesis, God says that Abraham was faithful to this call. And because of that, God fulfilled all of the promises that he made to Abraham. In particular, God was faithful to this promise to bless all of the nations through Abraham's descendants. And it would be one of Abraham's descendants, Jesus, who would come and be the blessing to the world. In the life of Jesus, we see this calling of of Abraham to go and be a blessing. We see that calling lived out perfectly. If you know the story of Abraham well, you know that he did not always live by faith, did he? Abraham, in his life, often lived in fear. He often did not trust God. He often did not obey God's call in his life. But we see that this, we see that this problem of sin was even a part of Abraham in his life. In fact, the very first story after Abraham leaves and goes to the land is a story of Abraham's fear and lack of faith. Turn to Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Verses 4 through uh, 9, it says that Abraham did go, and eventually he came to the land of Canaan, and God promised him that this would be the land that his descendants would inherit. But then in verse 10, look look at what happens. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but will let you live. So say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Abram goes to the land that he shows him, but there's a famine, and he leaves it and goes to Egypt. And Abraham's present in Egypt is not a blessing to Egypt. It's a curse. Abraham's lack of faith as he is in Egypt leads Pharaoh and his household to have diseases come to their house. This is the first full story that we get about Abraham after he calls him and after he takes this first step of obedience. And I think that one of the reasons is that is that the scriptures are so intentional to always point to Christ. This passage reminds us to look past Abraham to the one who would come through Abraham. There would be one of Abraham's descendants who would live perfectly to this calling to live by faith. Jesus lived perfectly to the calling to go and be a blessing. 
And in Jesus, all of the promises made to Abraham are fulfilled. Through Jesus, all of the nations of the world are blessed. In the New Testament, this divine plan, God's plan and purposes to bless the nations, focus themselves on the life of Jesus. Go and be a blessing. Isn't this what Jesus did? In Jesus' life, we see him going into the world and being a blessing. Through his words and through his work, he was bringing the blessings of his heavenly Father. Sometimes it was through a word spoken, a, a truth spoken, a correction or a rebuke. Sometimes it was through a miracle or a work of healing. But Jesus' life was him following this call to go and be a blessing. His life was a blessing to everyone he came in contact with. And then there is his death on the cross. In the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, Jesus becomes the blessing that the nations need in order to be healed. All of the aspects of our human sin that we've looked, like, looked at in the call and these stories of the fall, our rebellion, our violence towards one another, our hatred for God's holiness, our willingness to forget God, our pride, our desire to make a great name for ourselves, all of these aspects of our human sin find forgiveness in the cross of Christ. Go and be a blessing. This is what Jesus did all the way to his death. And this death on the cross was what make it sit possible for all nations to experience the blessing of God. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Remember that formerly those who were called Gentiles by birth, remember that you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far away, have now been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, that is Jew and Gentile, he has made them one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. God in Jesus Christ reconciled the whole world to himself by making peace through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. This was the plan that God had in mind from the very beginning, the plan that God had in mind when he chose and elected Abraham, a wandering nomad with a barren wife, so that through him, one of his descendants would bring about blessing to the nations. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that through him, all of the nations would be blessed. And now what about us? The New Testament tells us that we are descendants of Abraham through faith. We are called as descendants of Abraham now as people who are called and who are filled with the Spirit of Christ and who are called the body of Christ, we now participate in this same calling to go and to be a blessing. We are descendants of Abraham as followers of Jesus. I want us to consider the call to live by faith as Abraham did. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11.
For those of you who, who know your scriptures well, you know Hebrews 11 is a chapter all about the great saints of the past who lived by faith. And verses 1 and 2 define what faith is. The writer of Hebrews says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. When Abraham obeyed God, he acted by faith. He did not see the promised land, did not know where he was going. God promised him a child even though he had a barren wife. There was no human reason to believe that God would give him a child. But Abraham lives by faith and he get up, gets up and he goes. Abraham, uh, Hebrews 11 says that faith is what God commends people for. This living by faith and not by sight. The next few verses of Hebrews 11 gives us other examples of faith. And then we come to Abraham in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered himself faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. It says that it was by faith, by the assurance of the things that he hoped for and the convictions of the things that he could not see with his eyes, this is what Abraham lived for. Abraham walked in faith and in great hope of the promises that God had given to him, even though there was no human reason for believing that they would come about. And I want you to consider one other thing here in Hebrews chapter 11. It says in verse 13 that all these people who lived by faith were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In Abraham's life, he did not fully inherit the promised land. In Abraham's lifetime, he did receive a son, but he never becomes a great nation. He is, and his descendants do not become a great nation in his own lifetime. Abraham, through his entire life, was called to live by faith. God did not fulfill his promises in a timely way from Abraham's perspective. He saw glimmers of this hope that God had promised for them, but his entire life was called to live by faith. And I want to speak to each of us today who are struggling with faith because our life of faith is the same. We are called to live as aliens and strangers in this world, called to live our lives for the heavenly city that we cannot always see. And this is not easy to do, but it's worth it. Right now, we have brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world who are being persecuted, who are being killed, who are being forced out of their homes because of their faith. 
Eldon just this morning gave me a note saying that there's one Iranian brother that he knows of who was arrested for transporting Bibles in Iran, and he is set to be executed on Wednesday. This is one man among thousands and thousands of thousands who are called to live by faith, who have not received in this life comfort and safety and security, but who live for something beyond this life. You and I are called to live by faith. And Hebrews 12 says, Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us in the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I don't know where you are today in your walk of faith with God. Maybe you are struggling to believe. Maybe you are experiencing your own forms of persecution in your family or with your friends. Maybe you're wrestling with intellectual doubts. Maybe there is troubles and trial that are coming into your life or in the life of your family. Maybe like many of us, you are feeling the force of a culture that has rejected God and you're finding difficult to continue to believe and live by faith. Press on in faith, friends. This is what Abraham did. He is our example. Press on, living toward the promises of God. Look back and remember how God was faithful to keep the promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Look back and remember how Jesus fulfilled God's promises through his death on the cross. Look back so that you can remember the eternal life that is ahead for those of us who live by faith. I would invite you to bow with me in prayer and to ask that God would encourage us as we continue to walk in our own life of faith. God in heaven, we thank you this morning for the example of Abraham who heard your word and responded to it who heard your calling in his life and walked in obedience. Lord, we thank you even more for Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all of these promises that were made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And he was the one who came into our world and died for us so that we could live and heal the nations. God, we thank you for this one descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.